you know, our Western culture is uh, becoming increasingly secularized. Um, there was a day when <clears throat> you'd have conversations and talk about being prepared to minister to coworkers or friends or family, and uh, and the conversation kind of went something like uh, the idea of being ready to ask a question, like uh, if you were to stand before the Lord today, <clears throat> what would you do if the Lord would say, "Why should I let you into heaven?" Well, one of the challenges is people aren't asking that question these days. You don't find your neighbors coming to you, or often, often, I don't mean never, but often you don't find your co-workers coming to you asking you, well, what do I, what do I, you know, how, how do I get to heaven? How do I have this relationship with God? Usually people asking questions like, how can I stop arguing with my husband? How can I stop arguing with my wife? Or, how come our marriage isn't working, even though I thought, Marrying someone of the same gender, my ultimate love, the love of my own definition was more real in this day of what some call expressive individualism. Or how can I find sexual fulfillment if I'm not married? You mean, if I, if I go the majority of my life without being married, is there actual satisfaction in that? Can I, can I live as a, as a, bachelor or a bachelorette for most of my days and find happiness in this world? Or if I'm married and my spouse dies, some get remarried, some don't get remarried. Am I, am I able to find joy and fulfillment in that? People will make statements like, well, if it's just me living my own way, it makes me happy. It's not really hurting anyone, is it? What could be wrong with it? Or, how on earth do I relate to my kids in their teenage years? I have no idea what to do. What's the playbook here? Or, I blew it in my younger years as a parent. Now my kids are 20, 30, 40, and they're not walking with the Lord. Oh, what do I do? Is there any hope? Is it too late? How do I how do I begin to teach my kids responsibility with some admitted fear in my life about the decisions they're going to make without being controlling of them? How do I begin to sort of let out the rope a little bit and give them increasing levels of responsibility? I mean, these are everyday kinds of questions. Questions you might hear if you're listening well with a, a coworker, a family. You may have asked one or more of these questions. If you look at the statistics, we can talk about divorce rates. But sometimes we think and we look and we say, oh, hey, the divorce rate is decreasing. Well, one reason is because people just aren't getting married like they used to. On the flip side, 
sometimes we look at families, and families look like they're in great shape, right? They're, they spend incredible amounts of time together. They invest, <clears throat> at times, incredible amounts of, of money or resource into providing for their family or providing for their family's families and future generations. Sometimes children grow up in a family with every opportunity that could be conceivable, as much as people can pack into their schedule. Some feel like if their kids aren't given every opportunity, then that makes them failures as parents. <clears throat> some, some families e- even go so far as to uh, as doing church as their regular family rhythm to the exclusion of being part of a local church family. How are we supposed to approach all of these things, all of these questions that seem larger to life to that la- larger than life to us, and yet very real? for many of us in one way or another. And this is just a sampling. It's probably uh, a fifth of the questions that we could easily be asking this morning. We're starting in a, a series on marriage and family matters. And this morning is going to be kind of like an, an introductory sermon. Um, just kind of laying the landscape and providing a couple of helpful biblical principles for you to consider as we move through this series. But I want to ask you a question. You've heard me ask these questions before. I asked them in in 2018 at least, and I know I asked them, uh, I don't know, a year ago maybe, but uh, I'll ask them every once in a while because it's good for us to ask these questions. Rob Reno is the one who uh, I originally learned these questions from in a wonderful book he's, he's got called uh, Visionary Church. It used to be called Limited Family, Unlimited Kingdom. <clears throat> so I want to ask you to answer these questions. I couldn't decide whether or not to ask you to raise your hands this morning. So can I say, like, raise your hand in your heart? It's kind of weird, but I want you to still be my friend, so we're going to go with that. (laughs) But I don't want you to take them any less seriously. Do you believe that the Bible is God's word? Yeah. Amen. I'm thankful for this church, a church that stands on the authority of the Bible is God's word. Do you believe that the Bible is true in all that it intends to say? Right? That means we know the Bible doesn't speak to every issue of history or every issue of science or anything like that, but we know that when, when the Bible speaks to science, it's true. Science, true science, affirms Scripture. So do you believe that when we understand the Bible rightly, it is true in all that the Bible intends to say? Yes. Now you're asking yourself if your hand's still raised in your heart, right? You've got little hearts with hands up. Are you willing to submit all your thoughts and opinions on every subject to what the Bible says? Now I'm just asking you. If your hand is still up around this room, right? This usually starts. Every hand in the room is up. Yes, I believe the Bible is God's word. Yes, I believe the Bible is true and all it intends to say. And am I willing to submit all my thoughts and opinions on every subject, all my thoughts and opinions on every subject to what the Bible says? And if people on it are honest, there's, there's usually this sort of like a, yes, but I know in my own life there are areas where I'm not obeying the Bible, and so I'm finding myself wrestling with that question. That would be an honest human answer. Now, that's not to let us off the hook, but it's an honest human answer there. 
Are you willing to do what the Bible, fourthly? Are you willing to do what the Bible says, even if you don't want to? I'm not asking if you're perfect and you've always done everything that the Bible says. But as we begin to talk about marriage and family matters, we need to understand what God says about family. We need to understand some historically of what God says in the family. And I mean, we're literally just going to dip our toes in it this morning. We're going to be in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and a little of both, just drawing out a couple principles in support of our main idea this morning. But are we willing to do everything that the Bible says, even if we don't want to? Now, there's a lot of focus on the Lord changing our heart and the Lord changing our desires, all of which is true. But sometimes that looks like, I want to obey you, Lord, and I want to follow you, Lord. This doesn't make sense to me over here. This particular truth of Scripture does not make sense to me. And sometimes we land on, if it doesn't make sense to me, I'll wait to obey until I understand it all. Except, the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things not seen. In other words, it doesn't have to make sense to me for me to obey the Lord. When the Lord says it and we understand it in the right way, our response is to say, because I love the Lord, I will obey Him. Because I love the Lord, I will obey him. You'll see on the back table some uh, travel coffee mugs uh, that have uh, our vision statement or part of it. We want to be wholehearted followers of Christ. You see a little heart pattern on there, heartbeat pattern on there. The idea is that, we have, that it's flat, we're flatlined and then the Lord saves us and we are brought from death into life and God has given us abundant life. Well, that abundant life, Jesus teaches us comes as we follow him and we apply his principles and we learn that God's ways really are best. We don't wait to make that decision ahead of time. We, we follow in faith and we see and we have affirmed that even though often messy, often it doesn't go as we would draw it up, God's ways truly are best. Uh, we put Psalm 119.34 on there. Give me a heart of understanding that I may obey your law and follow it with my whole heart. Right? That, that's that first prayer. Give me understanding, Lord. Help me understand. Right? So that I can keep your law and obey it. Uh, I, I want to go back to these four questions, in other words, and ask these questions. Are you willing to submit all your thoughts and opinions on every subject, especially as it relates to the family in this series, to what the Bible says? In other words, if we, from God's word teach you something about what the Bible says about family, I want to ask you, are you willing to submit your opinions, perspectives, and thoughts to what the Bible says about it? Are you willing to allow the Bible to check your pre-understanding of what you think family was, even if you were taught something that might be inconsistent with Scripture by people who love the Lord, people who really care about you? Sometimes we, we're all taught different ideas that are wrong, or, or maybe we're taught one thing, but something else is modeled for us. Are you willing to submit all your ideas to what the Bible says about family? And will you follow God's teaching rather than what the culture says, even, as I was just alluding to, the family culture that you grew up in 
even by people who love the Lord. If the Bible shows us something different, will you submit to it? Submit all your opinions to it and obey him in it. We should be slow to answer that question. In other words, if everybody is just nodding and nodding along and not giving thought to it, there should be a little bit of tentativeness in it. Well, Pastor Matt, that seems kind of wrong. Well, let's be honest. The tentativeness comes from a realization that I have much to change and get right in my own life. And so to commit and say, Lord, I, I will obey everything that your word says about family, about my family, about my role as a, as a husband, as a father, as a churchman, to kind of resurrect an, an old school term, as a man of God who's committed to the body of Christ. Now, wait a minute, I thought this was about family. There's a great connection there. So as we begin this new series, we want to ask those questions. You're going to find some uh, truths that you'll be heartily in agreement with. And sometimes the point of application might ask something like, while you agree with this, are you practicing it? Sometimes it's easier to, to go after the culture and say, well, the culture's wrong, the culture's wrong, the culture's... And that's true. First, are there other areas that you know you agree with that you might not be practicing? That's always where we need to begin. Before we challenge culture, culture is influenced by those who rightly apply God's word and is changed from the inside out. Right? We'll challenge many preconceived ideas you have. A lot of times, a point of application might ask this question. Has the idea in your mind been formed more from your environment or from the Bible, and are you willing to adjust? These are challenging questions. We'll introduce tensions. Tensions that we see in the Bible that you won't be comfortable with. That are uncomfortable at times to preach. And many times a point of application might, might go something like, are you willingly, I'm sorry, are you willing to knowingly introduce discomfort in faith that God's ways are truly best? I'm going to give you one example. It's not the main point of today, but I just want to give you one example. We talk a lot about parents having the privilege of discipling your kids. So if you're a dad here today and you think, you know what, I haven't done that well. Well, okay. I could go down a list of things that I haven't done well. The question is, are you going to continue in a pattern of not doing it well because that's easier than going to your family and saying, I haven't done this well and I want to start today and I'm not even sure I know how, but I think we'll be safe by opening the Bible and reading these 10 verses together and praying. Well, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to, to go to your spouse, as I've had to do many times with mine, and say, babe, I love you. 
I mean, I love you to the moon. It's hard to put in words how much I love you, but I was wrong. That's uncomfortable. Dads, we want to be seen in good light always by our kids. I was driving yesterday or the day before. I think it was yesterday. And um, one of them reminded me that I was going faster than the sign said. And they were, it was much easier when they didn't know how to read the speedometer. <laughs> like I'm just telling you. That tells you a little something about me. And, uh, and I was reminded that I was going faster than the sign. And I said, well, I'm only going... <laughs> that doesn't fly when it's bedtime, Dad. I'm only going, I don't know if it's seven miles over or something like that. So I took my foot off the gas and I began to slow down. And uh, we were actually going slightly downhill. So it actually wasn't slowing down very much. But it was a little bit. So I was, point is I was responding. They were right. I was convicted in my justification. So I began to slow down. And then I was reminded that I wasn't really slowing down very much. I said, well, I am. I just haven't hit the brake. I've just taken my foot off the gas, and I'm kind of slowly getting there. Well, Dad, remember delayed obedience is disobedience. (sighs) It would have been really easy to slam on the brakes and say, I'll show you quick obedience as their forehead hits the seat in front of them, you know, right? It was a fun conversation. It was a, there was respect in the conversation. You know, I could have been like, hey, don't talk to me that that way. I'm your father. You're going to respect me. It was kind of with a look of, I hope I'm not stepping over the line, but there's some truth in this, but... It was one of those. It was okay. It was okay. Lots of laughter. It's a little harder to say, you know what, you're right. I tell myself it's easy to go this much above what the rule of law is because that's what's culturally accepted. You've got five to eight miles an hour, depending on the speed limit of the road, five to ten miles an hour to to disobey the speed limit before people really kind of seem to care. And yet the Lord convicted my heart that I was not right in my thought process. And the Lord used my children to help me see that. And so to say, you know, you're right. That's uncomfortable. So my question is, as we introduce tensions and challenge preconceived ideas about the family, are you willing to knowingly introduce discomfort in faith that God's ways are best and that the humility that discomfort brings will actually be better for your soul than persisting in your own ways? Our challenge this morning is that 
as God's people, we must embrace God's kingdom purposes and principles for marriage, family, and the church. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice if we want to experience God's best. And if we say, as we walk around with, uh, with uh, travel coffee mugs, by the way, we have some at the back table. Um, we, we got these uh, for free, um, uh, partially through a grant that we were able to find and get these printed. And, and uh, anyway, so we got these for free. If you want to make a donation, which helps us buy more for guests and things like that, you're welcome to. But if you want to take one, take one. Right? Just limit to one or two a family, maybe. maybe walk home with six of them if you have six people in your family. That would be loving to others. But as people who walk around with coffee mugs and shirts that say, I want to strive to be a wholehearted follower of Christ. Lord, teach me your word so that I'll obey it with my whole heart. The question we need to ask ourselves is, is that what we really want? Do we really want to obey the Lord and embrace God's kingdom purposes and principles for marriage, family, and the church. doesn't mean simply learning about them. It means not just simply memorizing them or even teaching them, but embracing. I love the word embrace because it conveys the idea of, 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 of just giving someone a hug and just fully embracing in that sense. It involves a commitment of faith. It's a, it's a confident trust before in the Lord before the results are seen. God created us as individuals. He, he's the one who instituted marriage. He's the one who created the family. And he instituted the church. And he gave it all to be an influence in the culture. And yet one that is not going to overtake the culture, but be separate from the culture. And so if we're going to embrace God's priorities and principles, we need to look to Scripture to understand the development and purpose of the family. And this isn't all going to be linear. Uh, Craig is going to preach next week and talk about some principles that I'm going to assume and, and go forward with today. And in a couple weeks, Matthew Ott's going to preach and talk about some principles that, that, you, that, you, that you, we've heard of and that we know of, but that we need to hear again and again. What is a family? In the Old Testament times, families were those who lived together in larger households. We often think about the immediate family that we typically tend to live with today. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are four words that are used to describe family, and they essentially mean uh, people or tribe, clan, and house of a father. And so when we think of family in the Old Testament, we think of typically house of a, of a father. Genesis 12 one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. It would be like saying, go from your city. Go from your country and your, your kindred and your father's house. In other words, leave everything you know. This is that fourth use, your father's house, the house of your father. Go to the land I will show you. And I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Or him who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So this use, this third uh, use, fourth use that I listed, house of a father, is typically what we what we think of. Uh, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna touch on some things, but I'm not able to delve deeply into them all this morning. The idea was uh, thinking about a, a father 
a father's house was not about primarily about power and privilege. As is often, as sometimes Christians are accused of today. Big attack culturally now on, on patriarchy. In some cases for good reason, because in some cases it's been abused. It's been misused, mishandled. And yet, God still calls men to lead. But it's never about power. It's never about the privilege of the one being uh, at the helm. If you think about spokes of a wheel, it was more like life was centered around, uh, around the man or around the husband and things began to flow out from there. So it was more like them being, being the center in a positive way. And it, and it brought responsibilities associated with their leadership. We have a dog, and one of the reasons we got a dog, aside from the fact that we love animals, I'm allergic to most of them, but we like them, was to allow our kids to learn some responsibility. And in that time, we've been asked questions like, Dad, it's 10 below zero. I don't want to go outside today. And I said, well, listen, when you're responsible to take care of something or someone, you have to take care of her, in our case, even when it takes you 15 minutes to get geared up to go out and do a two-minute job. Why? Because you have a responsibility. So, it's early and it's cold. Get up. Let's go. Promise you'll be fully awake when you get back in. <laughs> but it's about responsibilities. Daryl Block, a com commentator, lists nine, and I'll just, I'm just going to go through them quickly. He says, nine of these responsibilities to the father in ancient Israel was modeling strict faithfulness to the Lord. Right? We see that Noah walked with God in Genesis 6. Eight, six. Abraham is commanded about uh, five chapters after what we read a few minutes ago to walk before the Lord so that God would be able to fulfill his covenant with him. Uh, fathers would lead the family in festivals when God gave Israel something to perform. It was the father's responsibility to see to it that his family, meaning, again, men, meaning everyone that he was responsible for, that would be his, his wife, that would be his children, that would be those who uh, were maybe not uh, blood family relatives, but who were under his charge. We would use the word those who were employees who lived on the same property kind of an idea, right? The Bible uses the word slavery. Unfortunately, that conjures up all kinds of, of negative connotations in our American society, as it should, because it was wrong in our history as a nation. But that's not the idea that the Bible is talking about when using that description. It was the father's responsibility to instruct the family in the traditions of the Exodus. In other words, fathers, remember and convey to your children that which I have done for you and for your people. Right? It was the father's responsibility to manage the land in accordance with the law. Does that mean he did, he, he did everything relating to it? No. He would delegate responsibilities. And his wife would help him carry it out. It was his responsibility to provide for the basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing, to defend the house, household against outside threats, to serve as, as an elder, uh, literally an older, wiser man, in representing the household in the official gathering of citizens. Sometimes you have all the families there when, when, when the Lord's 
people spoke to give direction, and often it was sometimes it was just the fathers that would come and represent. And it was the father's responsibility to help maintain the members, family members' well-being and that the family ran in a harmonious way, in a cooperative way, in a joyful way. And then he would implement decisions that were made at the higher levels, clan level, tribe level. That was his responsibility. That's not just a, about power and privilege of, I get to be the boss. No, there's responsibility that comes with it. And that's just a sampling. When you move to the New Testament, a lot of that carries over, right? In, in Jesus' day, often the extended family would live together in, in rooms, at houses, about three, four bedrooms in a house often was the case. They, they lived according to this household code. Often this household, household code began with those who were more vulnerable or less capable, beginning with younger children, and move all the way up to the household. This was a common way for people to sort of remember who's responsible for what as life goes. And we'll see the Apostle Paul sort of inverts part of that. Um, we'll see that in, in weeks to come. But he begins to redefine some things that were culturally accepted in certain ways. And while Jesus affirms marriage and he blesses children, he taught that family is secondary to the kingdom of God. So not only do we need to embrace Scripture by, you know, leaning into and learning what the Scriptures say about the development and purpose of the family, what I want you to hear this morning is this. Family is important, but not most important. Now that might sound totally backwards. Family is very important. But family is not most important. Deuteronomy 6 drives home the principle that the most important thing is that each person, each individual, be devoted to the Lord and to do their part to model that and teach that for others. Hear, O Israel. Listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. So you hear a public word spoken to those given the responsibility to teach it to their children. But before he gets to teaching it, he says, you shall love the Lord your God. The most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your head and as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So first... It's each person's responsibility to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And then second, to teach God's ways to those who are under your charge. To those for whom you have responsibility. Live it out and teach it. Teach it by modeling it and with words. There's, a, a, there's an older expression that says... And if you like this expression, I'm just going to apologize in advance. 
you're not a sinner because you use this expression. I just want to clarify. Okay? Preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. I get the, the sentiment. Live in ways that are consistent with the gospel. Follow the Lord Jesus with your whole heart. The second part, when necessary, use words. Words are necessary most of the time. So we model it and we teach it. We articulate it in the way that we speak. And even in speaking the gospel. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, in other words, when you're at rest and when you're active, parents, you're called, fathers especially, you're called to be the one that is ready to talk about Jesus with your kids when you're sitting around in the living room. Used to be a day when families would come together and even if everybody was watching a show, at least you were in the same room and at least you were looking at the same screen, laughing about the same jokes. Now we can all be in the same room and everybody else in their own world. Everybody else on their own screen. Even the the content of what we're dulling our minds with isn't the same. Be ready at all times. Well, how, how do you be ready at all times? Well, you love the Lord your God, genuinely. Right? You're in the, in the Word, learning about the Lord, learning to love the Lord. It doesn't mean reading massive portions of Scripture every day. But I want to challenge you, men. Be in the Word. Open your Bibles and spend time before the face of the Lord. God, will, the Holy Spirit, will take care of the rest of it, or the majority of the rest of it. Be in the Word. Model that, that, that it's important to be in the Word to your children, to your wife. Let them see it. Men, let's not be men who are, who are dragged to wife by our church, dragged to churches by our wives, or even mostly going to church because our wives suggest it and we're sure it's a pretty good idea to go to church. It's good to go to church. No, we need, want to be in the Word. We want to model it. And that's coming from a pastor who doesn't do that perfectly. Sometimes I look at my wife's time in the Word and I'm challenged by the ways that she's putting her face before the Lord. And so the Lord calls me back over and over again. It's our job, husbands, fathers, to initiate what that looks like. Now, you remember we started at the beginning and I said, if you realize that there's an area of your life that you haven't been doing well at, are you willing to introduce discomfort in your life in order to follow what the Lord says, in order to obey what the Lord says? I want to ask you, what did you say then and what are you thinking now? Wives, how do you come alongside of your husband if he's not following the Lord? Are you, are you causing him to want to embrace the proverb that says, it is better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a quarrelsome wife? Are you trying to love him or are you nagging him? This is tough stuff. But we're called to teach our kids when we sit in the house or walk by the way, when we lie down 
and when we rise morning and night as you're still and when you're active. Let's live what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. Christians need to uh, prioritize God's mission over earthly family ties. Family is important, but it's not the most important. Family is important, but it's not the most important. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. We're seeking first the kingdom over how am I going to provide for myself or the things that we're worrying about. We model and teach our kids and our, our wives and our family, our neighbors, that we trust in the Lord, knowing that he'll supply for us. When we prioritize God's mission over earthly family ties, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're, we're breaking off earthly family relationships. That may be, need to happen in some instances, but I would suggest that's typically more rare. What often happens is, as people begin to follow Christ more and more faithfully, those who are not wanting to follow Christ tend to want to back away because they're either convicted by it or we just find that we have less and less in common. If we, if we negate following the Lord in order to make sure that these family ties stay nice and close like they've always been, well, then we fail to prioritize God's kingdom mission first. Luke 14, 26, Jesus gave some strong words that we have a difficult time understanding in our culture today. And I'm going to read uh, several, para, uh, several passages kind of back to back to back. If anyone cause, comes to me and does not hate, that's a comparative term. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now he says something similarly in positive language. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to this earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and his enemies will be those of his own household i jumped ahead when i said he says it positively here he says it positively the next verse whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me is he saying that we're not to love our own family members no no Jesus sum summarized the Ten Commandments by saying, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the assumption is that we love ourselves. But what he does is he says, if you love them, but you love them more than you love me, your priority priorities are out of whack. Out of sync with my kingdom purposes. When Jesus was a little boy, 12 years old, he began to go to the Passover. And, and when he was at the Passover, he got engaged in, in speaking with teachers of the law. And he was engaged and, and everybody was amazed at his wisdom. He had more growing to do, to be sure. 
And afterward, his parents begin heading home. And again, remember, we're traveling as, as clans and groups of people. So it'd be like if we left and we were walking to Shellsburg uh, for lunch, and Sherilyn and I were walking with everybody from the church, and our kids weren't with us, we're probably just assuming maybe they're just walking a little ahead of us or behind of us with Johnny and Danette as we're walking together. And we don't think much of it because we travel together a lot. But then we start to realize, I see them, but I don't see our kids. Or I see this family they might be with, but I don't see our kids. And they're starting to get nervous. And so then they, they head back and they're looking for them. Three days, Luke tells us. And when they get there, they say, Jesus says, well, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know, know I need to be in my father's house? Jesus begins in his early days modeling that the father's kingdom priority is to be his priority. Now, he wasn't rude. He wasn't disrespectful. He said, okay, Mary and Joseph. I'm not really sure what to do with all that, but it's time to go home. And so he went with them. He submitted to them, and, and they went home. Verse 51 says, he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was submissive, submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. The Apostle Paul in his teaching on marriage and family begins to highlight the importance of marriage, but he, he builds off of the assumption, as I said a minute ago, that we're going to love ourselves. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a father shall, I'm sorry, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. You might, you might ask yourself quietly, what, what mystery? Well, the mystery that refers to Christ and the church, the relationship between a husband and his wife. So, as we look to Scripture and we understand the development and purpose and priority of the family, we begin to see that family has always been important to God. Family is a, is a foundation for our society. Family is the foundation that everything flows from. But in our sin-cursed world, nothing works like it was intended. And so we all come to approach family now saying, how, how is this supposed to work with a broken family following the Lord? You might think, if, if my family no longer looks like what the Lord intended for it, intended for it to look like, is there any hope? Well, friends, there's always hope with Jesus. Because Jesus came to restore. He came to bind up brokenhearted. He came to redeem those who were lost and circumstances that seemed to be lost. And that is never God's plan B. God has always purposed to save people and to redeem situations that seem irredeemable. So wherever you are today, no, none of us can change what's happened in the past. None of us can change what's happened in the past. There, I had a pastor, uh, my pastor, when I was in college, and he asked this question. 
to uh, a group of college guys that he was discipling. He said, guys, I want to ask you a question. If there was one thing in your life that you could change, would you change it and why? I was like, what? One? Like, I've got many things that I'd change. It was sort of a leading question, trick question, which I fell for. And so I answered the question, and I talked about sin in my life that had affected other people and hurt people in my family and others. And I was broken over it, and I was just like, oh, if, if I could just change that, Pastor Rusty, I would change that. And we went around, and everybody shared theirs, and we got back to him. And uh, we said, what would you change? And he just said, nothing. We're like, whoa, hang on a sec here. Of course, we started to see where he was going. He said, you know, I've hurt people. I've been hurt by people. I've been misled by people, and I've misled others. I've hurt people unintentionally, and I've hurt people intentionally. But you know what, Matt? God has used everything in my life to make me who I am today. And that's the only hope that I have in pastoring people with love. With a fierce commitment to follow the Lord, even when so much has happened that we can't change. He said, I wouldn't change a thing. And you shouldn't either. Embrace where you are today. And the only thing that any one of us can do is take what we're learning about the Lord from his word today and apply it to our life now. We can't change anything that's happened. But what we can do today is we can say, Lord, I want to embrace your kingdom purpose and principles for marriage and for family and the church. And I know that I need to look at the scripture to do that. I hear what Pastor Matt's saying, but I need to see it in the word. I hear what other preachers are saying, but I, I need to see it in your word. So I want to ask you, as you think about the kingdom of God, as you think about your own family, do you see your family as the most important thing? In other words, I need to work so hard so that my family has what they want to have. I want my wife to be able to spend the kind of money that she wants to be able to spend. I want my kids to be able to do whatever kinds of activities that they want to do. If that's you, it's possible that rather than a saying family is important but not most important, you're saying family is, in fact, the God I worship. Being looked well upon by my wife or my kids may be the God that I worship. And the Lord wants us to call us back to say, you know what? I affirm family is important. But God's kingdom mission for all of us is most important. So I'm going to follow the Lord with all my heart and soul and might. I'm going to do my best, my level best from now going forward. 
to love and lead my wife and my kids, maybe my, your grandkids, maybe your adult children, to do the same. I'm going to seek God's kingdom and I'm going to trust God to do God's work as I follow him with my whole heart.